She's sharp, pointed, and insightful. This is Stacy on the Right on American Family Radio and Urban Family Talk. The hoax is the idea that the Trump campaign was uh, was the beneficiary uh, of a concerted effort together with the Russians to affect the 2016 election. Diane Feinstein had a Chinese spy as her driver for 20 years. And she's leading the Russian investigation, if that's what you call it. How about leading, no, no, she's leading the Russian witch hunt. That's something, isn't that something? I think a lot about the Democratic Party nationally and how it seems that that connection to people, where they are, what their experiences are, their struggles, their hurts and their pain, how we seem to have lost our way. You're going to have less taxes, more military funding, more border security, and more jobs. That's the choice that you face. It couldn't be more clear. And now, Stacey Washington. Oh, yeah. I'm back. It's Monday, and it's still me. (laughs) All right. Welcome to the program, everybody. It is a lot of content that we have to cover right now. We, We are going to be really... Moving quickly through everything today, I want to start off with this wonderful thing we're doing all week long, which is National Truth for Youth Bible Week and our Engage partnership. It's a partnership with Engage Magazine. And we're so excited about this. I, we just had a fantastic interview uh, with with just the first first of all, the author of the book. We, we talked to two authors last hour, Judge Jeanine Pirro, uh, host of her program on Fox News, and then also um, author of Liars, Leakers and Liberals. And then after that, like directly after next segment, we spoke with the author of this wonderful book, and I'm holding it up for you. It's Truth for Youth. It's it's a graphic novel, and then it has a New Testament on the back. So it's it's like every parent's dream because you want to have your kids be entertained and have them be looking at things that are, are good for them and that they enjoy, but then also to have the Bible on the back for kids who don't have one at home already. Oh, my goodness. Or for a kid who maybe they have their Bible, but it's not the one they like looking at. They'd much rather look at this one. Oh, I can tell you they'll much rather, you know, this is this is just down their alley. Um, so we spoke with Dr. Tim Todd about the book, the reason why he wrote the book. And I want to give you an opportunity. This is so this is free to you, one copy for you for free, along with this fantastic um, it's it's one of those rubber, the cool bracelets, the, the kind of movement statement bracelets that you can wear. And it has hashtag number six on it for the sixth commandment, which is thou shalt not murder. Um, and so the ways to get the free Bible and the wristband, so easy. You can go to truthforyouth.com. It's the easy way. That's 24 hours a day. But if you feel like doing it right this second so you don't forget later, because that's how I am. If I don't write it down on my pad right here, you guys, uh, I, that's what I'm writing on during the show. If something occurs to me, I have to put it there. And then I can transfer it into my calendar later for the electronics. But lists are very effective. We should do a whole segment on that. Um, They've written books and books and books about how lists are so effective. I want you guys to write this down, truthforyouth.com, or just give a call. Do it now, 800-733-4737, 800-733-4737. That gets you one free Bible and one free wristband. But if you'd like to order more than that, they're just $2 a copy. So if you're in youth ministry or, you know, I know it's the end of the summer. There's only like a week or two left or three. If you're, if you're in the, the East Coast, you probably might, you might have until Labor Day. 
Um, this is a fantastic one to get and give to your late VBS, your late summer VBS kids or any teens that are volunteering with you or working with you right now until school starts. Get one of these in their hand. They might do what I do, will do often with books is when I'm done with a book, if I haven't marked it up too much, I will then, a, a friend who I know is looking for some, I'll say, oh, I just read this book and it was so good and I'll give it to them. And then I'll tell them, don't, don't bother giving it back to me. If you find someone else who's in the same situation and needs this book, just give it to them like I gave it to you. Fantastic way to get this book into the hands of teens who, you, you, know, you know who I'm talking about. You know that teen in your life who could benefit from this graphic novel that covers all of these subjects that I would say it's uncomfortable for parents to discuss it, but we can't fall into that trap either. That is something that we're taught is that we should be ashamed to talk to our kids about sex or that we can't talk to them about sex or, or uh, drugs or cutting or pornography, that these subjects are, um, they're uncomfortable. They're something that parents, you know, it's, you're supposed to tiptoe around it. Do you talk to your kids about mowing the grass and keeping their room clean, about showering and making sure that they're clean and that they wear deodorant? Do you talk to your kids about keeping their laundry clean and, you know, changing their underwear, you know, every time you shower, fresh pair of underwear? If you talk to your kids about these rudimentary everyday type things, then talking to them about their properly named and assigned body parts and what those body parts are supposed to be doing or not doing in relation to other people should not be outside of what you can say. And, and my, our philosophy at our house was, cause my parents were much more traditional and, you know, of the era, their baby boomers, uh, that era is they just let you get sex ed at school in sixth and eighth grade. And then they kind of said, don't have sex. And that was the end of the discussions. Well, I started talking to our kids about the n- proper names of their bodies instead of those silly nicknames, the proper anatomical names of their body parts, the girls and our son, as soon as they start saying, what, what is this? What, what is that? Why does my brother have that? We named the parts and I said that, you know why he has that? Because he's a boy and you have this because you're a girl and that's what this is called and that's what that's called. And it was very matter of fact. And then as we progressed through and they did have sex ed in public school when they were in public school, we talked about what they watched. I checked the video out and watched it at home so that I knew what they'd seen so we could talk about it. And then later when they were in Christian school and the teachers would send an email home and say, we discussed this today. It might raise questions. Instead of waiting for the questions, I'd say, hey, they sent me an email. They said you covered this in school today. Do you have any questions? I'm wondering what you thought about that. If you keep the line of communication open, then it's never uncomfortable. Now, if you're coming into this a little, you know, you're thinking, oh, I haven't really talked about cutting or, or you know, drug use or anything with my kid. It's not too late. They're wondering what you think about it. Teenagers wonder what we think about stuff because they want some direction on which way they should think about it. They've heard plenty from their friends. They might even be grossed out or repulsed by what they've heard from their friends, and they need someone to calm it down and bring it back into reality. And that's you, mom. That's you, dad. So I'm, I'm an advocate for that. And the only way to know that you can have those conversations with your kids is to have them. Don't think about it too long because then you won't. Don't. Don't, you know, you might ask a girlfriend, do you talk to your, you know, you, you might, but really that's all just a waste of time. Just, just bring it up. 
just, you know, and it doesn't have to be one of those big productions where it's you and them and you're staring deeply into their eyes. It's more like you pick them up in the car and you're both looking straight out of the front window and then you just broach it and allow the conversation to progress. And you won't get the whole thing done in one sitting. It's a continuous conversation, just like you don't only go to church once and then that's it. You don't only talk to your kids once about these subjects that have to do with really, it's something that the world wants to talk to them about every minute of every day. Just look around. So we don't have traditional cable or anything like that anymore. We're cord cutters. We cut the cord years ago. And while we were on vacation this last time, it was a couple of weeks ago, we, we went down to Destin like we always do. We stayed in a condo and the condo came with uh, two televisions, one in the living room and one in the master. And it had, you know, cable. So we watched a little bit of regular television. And what I was surprised by is there's a definite decrease in the number of commercials that have babies in them. That's number one. And number two, there's a definite increase in the number of commercials that involve sex in the selling. Um, burgers, they now need, you know, a hot chick to sell burgers. Um, pretty much anything that's being sold, they can turn it into a reason to have someone sexually suggestive in the commercial. Now, that's not every channel and that's not, you know, it's not ubiquitous. Like there's nothing else out there. There were some wholesome commercials, but it was just, it's been so long since we had to watch commercials in between programming. It got really frustrating and we, and we turned it off, but I just took a note of how things are going. If they want to talk to your kids and to you so much about sex, it behooves us as parents to want to talk about not just sex, but drug use, um, interpersonal relationships, the online social media and pornography. We have to be willing to talk to our kids about it. If we're not talking to them about it, they've got some friends who are talking to them about it. And I think you probably would be pretty upset with what the friends are sharing. So you want to you want to counterbalance and make sure your children are equipped so that they can not only redirect with friends, hold their own with friends at a bare minimum, but that they are informed so that they're not enticed or titillated by what others might be willing to share with them. So I encourage you um, to do that. And this is just a really wonderful resource. So I want to make sure that people know where they can get that. It's 800-733-4737 for the Truth For Youth it's a Bible with a manga-styled comic book series at the front. So cool. Um, 800-733-4737. That's between 8 and 4.30 p.m. The phones will be manned. Otherwise, truthforyouth.com. All right. Now I want to, you know, so you, you might have seen over the weekend, unless you were unplugged like me and you just heard about it early this morning, or if you haven't heard, here it is. Diane Feinstein, none of her staffers have security clearance. You heard me right. I didn't say none of them have above a secret because a secret is basically, it's almost nothing. I had that when I was on active duty in the Air Force. I mean, it's like they definitely should all have some kind of security clearance if they're going to be working with her and she's sitting on, I believe, the Armed Services Committee. I mean, this is, this is like top secret type stuff. So her driver for 20 years, it turns out that this guy was... A, um, ooh, how can I say this? He was, he was a spy. He was infiltrating her campaign apparatus and her entire, you know, her, her office for the purpose of reporting back. Now, uh, after investigating, I guess they found that he didn't get anything of note. Uh, I, I don't know how he's like running around. She forced him to retire. And this was news. So this is not something that's totally new right now, but it's coming back up because of all of the different things that are going on. So I've got this audio bit here um, and it's talking about, and this is mainstream news, which I thought was pretty interesting that they were reporting on this. 
Talking about how this Chinese spy infiltrated Feinstein. The Spy Who Drove Me sounds like the title of a James Bond movie. Instead, it's a rip from the headlines reality from Politico and the San Francisco Chronicle about Senator Dianne Feinstein. First, Politico revealed that a Feinstein staffer was a Chinese spy. Then, in Matir and Ross, more. Citing an unnamed source, the column revealed the Chinese spy was Feinstein's driver for 20 years, who also served as a gopher in her Bay Area office and was a liaison to the Asian American community. He even attended Chinese consulate functions for the senator. Senator Feinstein was the chair of the Senate Intelligence Committee at the time and was reportedly mortified when the FBI told her she'd been infiltrated. KPIX 5 security analyst Jeff Harp, former assistant special agent in charge of the San Francisco FBI office, says he isn't surprised the San Francisco senator was targeted. If you think of the number of government employees there are that are in positions of trust and confidence, you know, anybody that sits on the Senate Intelligence Committee, they all have a, you know, a top secret security clearance and even higher, and those people are all prime targets of opportunity. This is no different than what we would do on foreign soil to try to recruit those same individuals into our intelligence network. Oh, yeah. So this is... Not it, it's not beyond the pale. It's not a shock. It's not the first time this has ever been attempted and completed, and it's not certainly won't be the last. But the point is that you know when I I, I one of my favorite slogans is "Scratch a scandal, find a Democrat." She's been busy pointing the fingers at Donald Trump, when in reality she can't even keep her own house clean. She doesn't have her business in order. So we're going to go out of this segment with the rest of the audio of Jeff Harp. That's the voice you just heard. Uh, with all of that experience he has leading, you know, portion of the FBI and counterintelligence and all that. He says the Bay Area is a target for espionage. The investigation concluded that the driver hadn't leaked anything substantial and Feinstein forced him to retire. Feinstein isn't the only target of spy games in the Bay. So the Bay Area is, has a unique uh, position in the espionage community. There's a lot of uh, what you want to call industrial espionage and also people who are in positions of trust and confidence within high corporations. It was just last month when a former Apple engineer was arrested for trying to take the company's autonomous car secrets to China. And remember the papal-like puffs of black smoke coming out of the Russian consulate in Pacific Heights last September? Right next to an odd array of communications towers, Harp says kicking those so-called diplomats out of the country hasn't slowed espionage. Just because we shut the Russian consulate does not mean that the Russians are no longer interested in what goes on here in the Bay Area. China the same way. The Chinese approach things from a little bit different, but they also have an interest in, you know, the economy here, you know, how to get uh, political influence here. A Feinstein's office says they do not comment on personnel matters and that no one here in the California office has security clearance. Wow. All right. That's first segment of hour two of Stacey on the Right. We're going to be back talking about MSNBC mocking Americans on socialism and what Hi, I'm Kevin is. Sorbo. You may know me from my TV series Hercules or Andromeda or one of my hit films such as Let There Be Light, God's Not Dead, or What If. I wanted to invite you to offer your full support for the Ministry of Preborn and its leader, Dan Steiner. The team at Preborn is very focused and very successful at saving preborn babies from abortion. The Ministry of Preborn saves babies' lives through ultrasound. By letting a mother hear her baby's heartbeat and see her baby in the womb, 
she'll choose life 80% of the time. For $140, you can help save five babies' lives. All gifts are tax deductible, and 100% of your gift goes to saving babies. To donate, go to preborn.com. That's preborn.com. Or dial pound 250 and say the keyword baby. That's pound 250 and say baby. Every baby deserves to be born. Up next, Carol Swain with two minutes to think about it. From poverty to professor, from GED to PhD, a bold Christian speaking truth to power. Here's Carol with today's two minutes. Hello, folks. Do you trust God to get you where you think you need to be in life? Or do you feel you have to make things happen for yourself? As a mover and shaker, I have spent a good portion of my years trying to get myself where I thought I needed to be. Along the way, I learned some truisms. The harder I strive towards a goal, the further it seems to slip away. When I relax and allow God to direct my path without any unnecessary interference from me, I see tremendous breakthroughs. God makes things happen that I could have never orchestrated. We know from Revelation 3, 7 through 8, that the doors he opens no man can close and the doors he closes no man can open. I've learned to pray, prayerfully set my goals and watch for what God is doing. The hardest thing I have to contend with is not trying to help him do what I think he ought to be doing in my life. Trust me, God doesn't need us out front navigating the ship. Proverbs 3, 5 through 6 says, Trust in the Lord with all thine heart and lean not to thine own understanding. In all thy ways acknowledge him and he shall direct thy paths. He also tells us not to be wise in our own eyes. In other words, we're really not as clever as we think we are. We thrive and we grow when we have a healthy trust and a reverent fear of the Lord. To learn more about Carol and the Carol Swing Foundation, visit carolmswing.net. And make sure you follow her on Facebook at Professor Carol M. Swain and on Twitter at Carol M. Swain. This is Stacy on the Right with Stacy Washington on American Family Radio and Urban Family Talk. We sit here and we talk about this big concept of socialism. We debate what it actually means. All the polling that I've seen, when people go out state by state and ask what people care about, it's about the cost of health care. Yes. Right? That's what people care about. Yes. So if you can show up and you can say, I'm going to take care of the cost of health care, like that's a really powerful argument. But you're getting into details and you're talking about a nuanced, powerful argument. Yeah. But lots of people don't get into the argument. They just go, oh my gosh, socialist. I can't have that. It's going to take all my money. And I will tell you, if the entire Democratic Party gets branded as socialists successfully going into the midterms or into the 2020 presidential, depending on who takes that mantle, they lose. Even if those are winning policies, it's such a a difficult term. Wow. So it's super difficult. Um, And that's why it's the terms that make it so hard. It's not the fact that... um, you know, socialism is horrible and everywhere it's been implemented, it's failed. Welcome to the program, everybody. Stacey Washington, host of Stacey on the right here on American Family Radio and Urban Family Talk. Uh, glad to be with you today. You're listening to Stephanie Rule and a panel of people over at MSNBC talking about the just that it's Americans don't want to lose all of their money. It's not just about losing money. It's about losing 
your freedom. It's about losing your liberty. And there are some really great videos online. Uh, at PragerU has one. A uh, few other uh, uh, hosts, online hosts, YouTubers have done amazing work in videos. So I'm, I didn't, you know, th- there's no need of me doing a video about how awful socialism is. But there is a need for us as people who really respect capitalism and what it's been able to do here. And it's an an imperfect system. Any system that involves human beings is going to be imperfect. And any system that we implement is going to have, you're going to have your, your pros and your cons. And if people take anything to an extreme, I mean, think about it. If you drinking water is really good for you, but if you drink too much water, you can actually dilute the amount of blood that's in your bloodstream too much water, not enough blood. You can give yourself water poisoning and die. So any good thing, can be taken to its extreme and it can become harm, harmful or even deadly. Capitalism is the same. Unfettered capitalism without any philanthropy, without any kind of uh, government incentives to get people to kind of rein in their desire to just earn a profit, it, it's no good. But the closest, best applications of socialism don't ever work out. Like the best socialism still never works. And when I say never works, it works in the beginning, and then as it really begins to work, it no longer works. The only reason socialist nations are able to keep up the facade of having socialism is, first of all, because they utilize a lot of capitalistic precepts within their government and within their societies that balance out the socialism. And the only reason that level of socialism is able to be maintained is because, of course, the supporters of it prop up the facade by not reporting on the bad parts. And the other thing is because America, we're everybody's policemen. I used to think it was so derogatory when people would say that. But the fact is, America, our military, serves as the military for a number of these other socialist nations, so much so that they're able to kind of, they're able to dance with socialism a little bit more than they would be able to if they had to foot their own military bills. If they had to stand their own military up and actually fund it and actually buy all of the equipment and hardware and train everybody and have all of the computer systems and everything else, the spies, the covert operatives, the whole nine, the agencies that go along with it and the government sized up to take care of it, their socialism would burn to the ground. They use the money they would be using on their military to prop up their socialist programs. But don't take my word for it. Um, one of my favorite authors, obviously, is Thomas Sowell, and he's written so many things about this. But I'm going to give you a few salient points about uh, how socialism destroys economies and really kills people. And he talks about Venezuela. Now, interesting that I'd planned on talking about this today in the news today. <clears throat> so <laughs> Maduro, who's the head of the government down in Venezuela, was actually the subject of an assassination attempt when they had um, like some drones were flown over this event that he had. So you've got Maduro assembling his entire military and the military is all formed up and, you know, looking smart and snappy. And while he's doing that, and he's, he's standing up there and he's speaking and looking quite rotund. I mean, you know, I can't, I, can't, I can't judge too hard because I'm not exactly skinny. But he looks like he's been eating well. Like that dude looks like he's been putting away a few steaks and, st- and you know, the shrimp and uh, 
whatever whatever the dishes are in Venezuela, he's not missing anything. His little military jacket is pulled tight almost to the bursting. And he's standing up there with his extra round face, you know, pontificating in a foreign language, admittedly. I have no idea what he's talking about. And then apparently a drone flies overhead and bullets start flying. And then the military, which is a symbol down below him, instead of them rushing up to the stage to kind of, um, you know, protect him, they all just scatter like all of them. I don't even know if those were they military people or were they just people he found and gave them a, a full meal and, you know, some money and they put the uniforms on so we could have this display. We, we time will tell. But they just scatter. So the drones come overhead. They try to kill him. And when they realize they're under attack, all of the military members just scatter. So why did they do that? Why did they run away? Um, well, they ran away because they don't have any skin in the game. First of all, part of the reason our military force is so fantastic is because we have an all-volunteer military, which we can do because, as we've discussed many times, our government is outsized and we have fantastic pay. Well, I won't say fantastic. We have good pay and benefits for our military members and we have other perks and benefits that we offer to them after the exiting of the service, like the GI Bill and things like that. And the training that you get on active duty in our military is so cutting edge and so phenomenal that it sets you up for a wonderful career doing something else in the private sector when you're done serving. And so, you know, if, especially if you're coming from, you're not sure what you want to do after high school and you actually went to high school and learned something and you can pass the ASVAB or whichever military service test you're planning on going into, the military is a fantastic option in our country. So incomes in Venezuela have bottomed out. They don't have enough food. And remember, Venezuela's primary export, of course, was oil, but they were doing everything incorrectly, which is what happens when you have uh, this... You have people in charge of your government and the finances of your country who they literally don't know addition from subtraction. They, they have no idea of how an economy works. So let's talk a little bit about this so-called rig system that Bernie Sanders was selling to us during his campaign. And he, he tried to sell it to those of us who are working and are you know past our millennial years, if you will. But millennials who haven't yet had to work and then get that first couple of promotions and see that pay increase come in. And just before it hits their bank account, the government sucks most of it out. And that's when most people, they think, oh, wait a minute now. Maybe my allegiance to higher taxes and bigger government needs to give way just a tad because I'm working and I've earned and I've gotten my education or, or I've put the time in to get this promotion They've given me the promotion, but I'm seeing very little of it because the government has jacked up my income tax rate and they're taking a ton of what I've just earned. That's that's when the rubber meets the road. So there's data, according to Thomas Sowell. In 2015, the 400 richest people in the world had net losses of $19 billion dollars. And you might say, well, who cares? They were the 400 richest people in the world. They're billionaires. But the idea that they've rigged the system so only millionaires and billionaires can make it, that doesn't match up. In a rigged system, millionaires and billionaires or the 400 richest people on the globe do not lose money. In a rigged system, you rig it so you don't lose any money, right? So there's also 
the fact that socialism promises something that it cannot deliver, which is you saw Bernie Sanders come out last week with this Medicare for all boondoggle that he says will solve the problem of people not having health insurance and everyone will have the same thing, he says. But we won't all have the same thing. There's never going to be a situation in which every person has the exact same thing, whether it's health insurance or cars or houses or even family size. We will never, ever treat, achieve true equality because the very nature of human beings is that some human beings are always, 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 always going to be willing to stay up late and never watch TV and work out an extra hour and a half a day, run an extra you know, miles, drink only smoothies three days a week, limit their diet to 1,200 calories so they can be super thin. There are always, always going to be people who are willing to stay up late at night and study and not watch television and not uh, do recreational activities so that they can know more than everyone else at their workplace so they can be the boss. There's always going to be someone who is driven to do something and they're willing to make the sacrifices to get it done that will elevate them, their performance above the other people in their same group, whether it's work group, you know, a bunch of people who go to lunch once a week, whatever. We'll never all have the same thing. And I'm glad because I don't want the same thing as what everyone else has. Unless we're talking about liberty under the Constitution, my constitutionally guaranteed rights that are given to me by God, I'll take those the same as everybody else. Amen to that. But everything else from how many children we decide to have or how often we decide to you know, go to the library, I'd rather have those things under my own individual control. And so you've got you know, a lot of different factors at play as to why socialism doesn't work. And you have to stop and think about why it doesn't work before you can go forward with the premise that it automatically will. And what we're being sold right now is this idea that socialism will work because Bernie Sanders says it will work. Well, ask Venezuelans how the socialism is working for them. Maduro said it would work. It's working really well for him. He's fat and also still has money. He's not eating zoo animals and, and domesticated pets for dinner. He's eating real food. He will always have what he needs because he has a military and armored tanks and guns and a limitless supply of ammunition to ensure that if there's anything they lack at the palace, they can go out amongst the people and find it and take it by force. The people, on the other hand, especially the ones who are trying to fly the drone attack, they're trying to wrest power back from him because they've now come to realize that socialism sounded wonderful, but it's not working out for them. Their economy has collapsed. And oddly, Hollywood elites, the one, same ones who are selling socialism to us in between their you know, Marvel films, they're not coming to the aid of Venezuela. They're not flying down and doing an aid program for Venezuela. They don't have a we are the world type telethon that they're planning. They don't even talk about Venezuela. They don't mention it on the news. And if you ask Bernie Sanders about it, he changes the subject because socialism in its true application is not what he's selling. He's selling the idea of socialism because that's what takes power away from his enemies who are busy peddling liberty and freedom, people on the right. And it's, it's not that people on the right are perfect. That's not it at all. But I go by what the party platform says because people are going to people. People are going to fail. People are going to mess up. People are going to not 
answer up to their uh, their promises all of the time. But if you have at least the rule of law and the Constitution, which says this is what has to be done, it's so much better than socialism, which just says hope, change. We this is what we promise you. But there's nothing behind it to make them do it. If there was Maduro down in Venezuela, he wouldn't be able to be fat. While on average, Venezuelans have lost. You just take the average, everybody, uh, the average of what everyone has lost there in pounds, almost 30 pounds per person. Now, if a person was a little overweight, a little chunky to begin with, then, you know, it's probably a welcome change. Only it's the not it's not the diet they would have chosen. It's a forced diet. But if you're already thin and physically fit and you've lost 30 pounds, you're emaciated. These people are starving. And they're leaving the country in droves. Hundreds of thousands, over 200,000 people have left Venezuela. And the others who haven't left, I don't don't think it's an issue of they have a choice and they have somewhere to go. They just want to hang around. Some are hanging around because they love Venezuela and they want to stay in their own country. But most are staying because they have nowhere else to go. They don't want to take a chance somewhere else that Mexico doesn't sound good. They're just not, they're not willing to leave or they can't leave. So there's also the issue of, obviously, we have a globalized economy. We have other nations that invest in our country. We have other businesses, international businesses that have parts of their companies in our country and it moves towards socialism. They look so good on MSNBC coming out of Bernie Sanders or 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 Ocasio-Cortez because she's just, you know, a a media darling and everybody loves to listen to everything that comes out of her mouth. But business interests from around the globe don't want their businesses heavily invested in nations that practice socialism. The closer we get to the true practice of socialism, socialism mandates that the ownership of the means of production rest with the government. Can you imagine, just think about the worst things that we're seeing with some of the businesses out there, whether it's Apple cracking down on Alex Jones, who honestly, he has, you know, really gone off the deep end with his conspiracy theories and all of that. But this news that they've shut down all of his podcasts and uh, as if there's no no good content coming out, as if the First Amendment does not apply, that does not inspire confidence. So while liberals are dancing in the street and they think it's so fantastic, wait until it's their turn. The pendulum always swings in the other direction. Socialism's horrible and we need to stay away from it. But I, we have to find a way to teach the millennials that. Because they've been indoctrinated in school to think that socialism's fantastic. And we all know it's not. Just ask any Venezuelan. All right. When we get back, we're going to be listening to some audio from Kellyanne Conway. And, of course, we'll take some calls. Call lines are open 866-963-2037. Stay there. Hi, I'm Will Addison. And I'm Miki Addison of Aaron the Addisons on Urban Family Talk. Family is so important to everything. I mean, think about it. Right after God created Adam, he made family by creating Eve as his wife. We'd like to invite you to the Marriage, Family, and Life Conference this summer. We'll have a full slate of experts to help encourage and equip the body of Christ to fight for the restoration of the family. 
Our speakers include Ryan Baumberger of the Radiance Foundation, Dr. Clarence Schuler of Building Lasting Relationships, Abraham Hamilton III, Pastor Burt Harper and his wife Jan, and more. We'll even be there. The Marriage, Family, and Life Conference will be Friday and Saturday, August 17th and 18th at Hope Church in Tupelo, Mississippi. Come help us fight back against the enemy's direct attack on marriage and family. That's the Marriage, Family, and Life Conference put on by Urban Family Communications, a division of the American Family Association. You can learn more and register at urbanfamilytalk.com. This is Just a Minute with Stacey Washington. There's a new slogan out, you are enough. It's the latest foray into convincing people that self-love is the pathway to freedom and success. This is just repackaged self-esteem nonsense of the same variety preached by secular thought leaders a few decades ago. Instead of going to church, we are encouraged to go to sporting events and huge stadiums on Sunday or stay home and read the newspaper. Instead of studying the word of God, we're told to meditate on ourselves while holding crystals and humming. How ridiculous. Joy comes from knowing who we are in Christ. Philippians 2.3 says, Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves. So in essence, the opposite of everything we've heard. The meek will inherit the earth. Confidence comes from working hard and living a godly life. Instead of looking for self-esteem, look for God in His scriptures, in His creation, in serving people. I'm Stacy Washington. Find out more at StacyOnTheRight.com. Donald Trump's America. President Trump spent the weekend at his golf course in New Jersey and on Twitter, where he blasted the Russia probe and the media. The president tweeted it's fake news that he's concerned about Donald Trump Jr.'s 2016 meeting with Russians in Trump Tower. The president's attorney, Jay Sekulow, got into it with George Stephanopoulos on ABC's This Week. The question is, what law, statute, or rule or regulation has been violated? Nobody's pointed to one. Well, they actually have pointed to several, including conspiracy. The president also tweeted the fake news hates him and suggested the media could even start a war. Fox News Sunday's Chris Wallace asked National Security Advisor John Bolton about that tweet. Cause war, sick, divisive. This is taking it to a completely different level. Well, that's that's the president's view based on the uh, the uh, attacks that the media have made on him. President Trump also wrote the meeting at Trump Tower was legal and done all the time in politics. In Washington, Rachel Sutherland, Fox News. You can watch a live stream of the show on Facebook or YouTube at Stacy on the Right. Now, back to the show on American Family Radio and Urban Family Talk. But you know you're a serious reporter. You've worked your way to the anchor seat at Face the Nation. You were a foreign war correspondent. The idea that you share an industry with the New York Times opinion writer who had racist tweets a couple short years ago, cancel white people, do they burn as quickly in the sun? Just really terrible Kelly, things. Um, and then, of know. course, Mark Caputo of Politico this week going to the rally in Tampa, excuse but you me, and referring the... to Trump supporters as, quote, garbage people. But if you put them I all together, you have a full set of teeth. To That's the state of journalism because today. Because you've been the, the victim of some targeting, and I know you're yes. sensitive to this. So can't you understand the difference, though? Uh, when the president escalates, that there is actually, at times, physical danger, potentially, that there is a risk here, that the president may want to change that rhetoric. The president wants people to give information, news they can use. And I got to tell you, there are a large, a, a growing swath of, of reporters, all of whom, or most of whom I feel like I have a decent relationship with, uh, that are sitting in the press briefing room who have contracts on cable TV where they say things and they say things on Twitter they would not get away with 
in print. It would not pass even the most virulently anti-Trump editor's desk. And so I think those standards are much lower on Twitter for these journalists, certainly on TV. Mm -hmm. I've been talking about this for two straight years now since the campaign. I think the temperature needs to be dialed down overall. And but, you don't uh, believe that journalists are the enemy get, of the people? I don't believe journalists are the enemy of the people. I think some journalists are enemy of the relevant. Thank you an enemy of the news you can use. And I think that most of the most of the sins are sins of omission, not commission. Welcome back to the show. Stacey Washington, host of Stacey on the Right here on American Family Radio and Urban Family Talk. So that was Kellyanne Conway speaking to Ms. Brennan about how, you know, the, this this question that Jim Acosta posed, it's a straw man. It's a fake argument. It's a, it's a fake hill for them to stand on. So what do you do when the economy is, you know, banging on all cylinders and there's just everything is uh, really what you were told couldn't happen is happening right before your very eyes. We were told by President Obama that we could not have GDP growth greater than 2%, that that was a new normal. Get used to it. We were told by President Obama that manufacturing jobs couldn't come back to this country. Those are old jobs that need to be done away with and sent to third world nations and all Americans are supposed to be in technology or food service. We were told by President Obama so many things that have turned out to be utter poppycock. At this point, if you believe that stuff still, I mean, you're just not reading the news. I'm sorry, you know, for you. So it, when, when we hear these journalists, they don't genuinely believe that Americans believe they're the enemy of the people. But they're insulted and they're in their feelings, hashtag in your feelings, and they want to make sure that they get the comeuppance that they want from Republicans. And if the president is going to keep giving that insult, they're going to make the news story that he's insulting them and endangering their lives like they never got death threats before. They don't care when conservatives get death threats. They don't care when people literally say, I'm going to kill you to people who are on the right. They don't care when Pam Bondi's chased down the street or when conservatives are told to get out of restaurants, to get out of public, or when Maxine Waters calls for conservatives to be run out of public life. People who work for the Trump administration, anyone she doesn't like, Maxine Waters gets to decide who gets to be in public and who doesn't. Not, none of that mattered. Now, President Trump said, you're the enemy of the people, and now every Republican within the sound of their voices needs to. So do you think we're the enemy of the people or no? And the only reason they wanted to have Kellyanne Conway on the show was to make sure she was on the record as saying, you're not the enemy of the people because that contradicts Donald Trump. And it further feeds this narrative and this story. He hasn't called for anyone to be harmed. He hasn't done anything nearly to the same degree as Maxine Waters and others have done. But that's that's the issue here. The issue is not that they're the enemy of the people. The issue is that they're reporting things that are not true. And when. When the media throws up that straw man. Their only purpose is to make everyone get on the record, bowing down to their whims. And right now their whim is. I need you to tell me that I'm not the enemy of the people and you can't be like Sarah Huckabee Sanders. She's no good. She won't say it. I get Jim Acosta is actually on the record. 
I gave her every opportunity. He didn't give her anything. He was in the briefing room that she was in charge of. That was her room. That was her space. She allowed him to ask her the question. She was not required to answer it. See, he's, he's got it all wrong. Jim Acosta thinks that the White House briefing room is the Jim Acosta briefing room. It's not. He didn't give her every opportunity. She allowed him to offer a question. She took the question. She answered it as she saw fit. He wanted her to repeat after me, say what I'm telling you to say. I want you to say to me that I am not the enemy of the people, that you disagree with your boss, that even though you are his mouthpiece and your job is to answer questions about his policies and what's going on in his administration, right now we want to hear you disagree with him. We want to hear you contradict him. We want you to give us your personal opinion about whether or not we are the enemy of the people. And I'm going to keep riding you until you do. And if you don't do what I tell you to do, woman, I, Jim Acosta, a man, I'm going to get up and walk out of this room like a stompy foot baby. And that's what happened. So when we hear this, we have to call it out for what it is. Now, I got nothing against Kellyanne Conway. I think she handled the interview well. She was in a tricky position. And when asked a question that you you disagree with or you know the answer to, it's an easy answer. Most people are going to answer. She's, she's a pro at this. She's much better than most people who do this, certainly better than I am at going into these really negative media situations and handling her own and getting her message out there. I got no problem with what she did there. But I do have a problem with this idea that now every single conservative is going to have to come out and say, I don't think the media is the enemy of the people thereby validating Jim Acosta and elevating him up to somebody who I don't know, you know, what I'm expecting now is for him to rent one of those fancy, um, you know, those it's like it's like it's almost like a trailer on wheels. It's better than a Winnebago. Work with me here. I'm talking about that big thing. You can sometimes see them on the highway when you're on long trips, but mostly you see them parked by the side of the road. It'll have the the side let down and it has a door. And when you go on it, it's almost like you think to yourself, did I just get onto what looks like kind of like a glorified bus? The inside is tricked out like a building. It's like he's going to buy one of those and set it up. It's going to have his picture on all four sides and it's going to be Jim Acosta's room and all the rest of us, all of America, all 312 million of us, but mainly media apparatus and Trump administration officials will have to approach this bus or Winnebago and ask him questions. And then he'll get to tell us what to ask. And then he'll get to answer only what he feels like should be answered. So basically we're just in his world. It's like a cartoon he's writing for himself and the rest of us. And we're all just, you know, we can't, we can't control ourselves. We're cartoon characters. We're just doing whatever he draws for us to do. I mean, why would any one of us want to valid, validate Jim Acosta's ridiculous ranting by answering that question? Someone said, uh, Joy Reid, it's Stalin used that term. And then some, you know, well-meaning Republican was like, well, it is language that is inappropriate to be used. You know what? D- who just woke up here in this country where Donald Trump is president yesterday? Everyone who raised their hand, please just exit off to the side because you need to you need to become acclimated to the new normal. The new normal is that if you hit Donald Trump, he's going to hit you back magnitude of 10 times harder. That has been the situation since 
before he declared his candidacy for the presidency. Does it mean that I agree with everything that he says? Nope. Does it mean that he's going to change? Nope. Now his wife is out disagreeing with what he said about uh, LeBron James being unintelligent or more intelligent than Don Lemon, but Don Lemon's not intelligent. His wife's out saying, well, that was kind of harsh. Are we thinking that at some point Donald Trump's, oh, man, all right. I've had my fun. I'm just going to stop. I'm going to. No. That's New York brawler born and bred. That's that one kid who got punched all the time on the playground and always got back up no matter what was going on with his face or his shoulder or his arm or anything like that. He would not stay down. That's that's Donald Trump. He's not going to stop punching people who punch him publicly with insults. And it's really, it's equal opportunity. He has savaged Rosie O'Donnell. You name it. He's just like gone on down the line. Anyone who has ever hit him publicly, he's hit them back. Reporting on it doesn't mean I agree with it or that I think it's right or proper or that I'm a fan of it. It just means that I'm a realist and I see what he's doing and his point to insulting the media is not so much that he thinks they're truly the enemy of the American people, but the stuff they're reporting about him is false. Every bit of it. Nope. But there's just enough truth in there to make the lies seem plausible. He is trying to change America for the better. He's trying to right some wrongs and he's trying to undo some of the garbage. I can't even call it diplomacy or policies or anything that President Obama put forward. It was just an absolute mess. And Donald Trump inherited it. He's trying to fix it. And while he's working to fix it, he's got the media. Literally, they're okay with attacking his son, who's 12 or 13 years old. They're okay with attacking his wife when she's recuperating from a a, a surgical procedure. They're okay with attacking the adult kids and the grandkids and anybody who ever worked with him and anybody who ever said his name and didn't snarl or spit when they said it. They're just out of control. And so he's escalating. So how about if the media just said to themselves, you know, we still don't like him. We still don't want him to be the president. But we are the fourth estate. And in order to preserve our legacy and to not have students in journalism class being taught not to do anything that we did during this time frame when Donald Trump was president and naming different fallacies and incorrect ways of doing journalism after us, like the Acosta method, don't do that. Instead of them trying to protect their legacies and their historical record by doing the job right. They're going to just devolve into the Acosta method, which is, I am the story. There is no story. I'm the story. That's Jim Acosta. You're not going to say what you think. You're not going to answer the question that I asked you the way you want to answer it. You're going to say what I tell you to say because I'm Jim Acosta. And I've already got my media people. They're They're going to do a story on me. They're going to bring my perspective to the print media They're going to support me so I don't have to have integrity. I don't have to genuinely treat you with respect because you're the press secretary. I don't have to act like this is your room and I'm in it because I'm a member of the White House press corps. No, I'm going to act like a big overgrown baby and you're going to take it because I've got other media people at my back and you don't have anybody. You're under attack because we hate you. We hate your makeup. We hate your face. We hate the way you look. Just look at what they've written about Sarah Sanders. 
totally unprofessional, complete lack of ethics. That's the way they treat her. And she still stands in front of them every single day. Instead of shutting down the on-camera briefing and just giving the briefing to them live without the benefit of cameras. Mm-mm. No, she's still in there doing that thing like that. I would have all been shut down the cameras. I would have been like, yep, we're going to have the meeting in this space, but there will be no cameras. <laughs> Watch how they would calm down if she did that. Because they're grandstanding. Because they have contracts that they need to fulfill. They have news that they need to make. And they're not talking about making news about 4.1% GDP or millions of new jobs total in 18 months. They're not talking about all of these different metrics that are really, it's like taking the temperature of a human being and then checking their pulse oxygen level and then checking to see if you know their, their reflexes are working and feeling the lymph nodes and all of the different things that the doctor takes you through uh, when you go to your, see your internist for your once a year checkup or if you show up and you're sick, first thing they do is they, they try to assess just your normal functions are these within the, the parameters. And then they go to what's wrong with you. And so the normal parameters for our country are that we have GDP greater than 2%. That's when we're healthy. 2% means we got to look at a few other, like we need to, we need to maybe take some blood. We need to check and see what's going on here because 2%, that's kind of anemic. That's, you need some iron in your diet. You need, you need to be eating more eggs. You need to be getting outside and getting more walks, get some sun. You need to get more rest. You know, lay off the carbs, stop laying around watching TV and eating at the same time. You, you know, get up, be active during the day and then get your good solid eight hours of sleep at night. Cut your stress levels. The same things a doctor will say to you as a person. When we talk about 4.1% GDP, that's a healthy country. When we talk about jobs being created, not jobs lost, that's a healthy country. Jobs coming back to this country, healthy. Eliminating these deals, the Paris Climate Accord, the Iran deal, taking the temperature abroad, making sure that Americans are first. That's healthy. Donald Trump is bringing these metrics back and putting the nation back in a state of health. And these reporters won't talk about it. They want to talk about Jim Acosta and his feelings. Of course, Donald Trump is going to go at him hard. They're not doing their jobs. Sorry. Don't get mad. Just understand it and move on. We'll be back with more after this. The views and opinions expressed in this broadcast do not necessarily reflect those of Urban Family Talk, Urban Family Communications, or American Family Association.